put the Sunday school teachers on the spot? Like that. Cringing. Oh, no, am I going to have to answer these questions? A <laughs> couple of announcements. Um, just to make sure we're all clear on what happens over the next week with times and everything. Sunday night, I mean, uh, Sunday night, not Sunday night, Christmas Eve, we have services at 4 and 6. 4 and 6. Let's say it together. 4 and 6. So what time? Very good. We expect you all here. It's going uh, to be a crowd. Next Sunday, a week from today, we're having one uh, end-of-year celebration service. So we'll combine both services, 9 o'clock. So if you come to your normal service, you'll either be early or late. So what time are we meeting next Sunday? 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock. Very good. And it's going to be a uh, combined praise service like we did last year where we get a chance just to share what, uh, where have we seen God, um, how was he with us this year, where did he make his presence known, um, and in what ways can we stop and say thank you, Lord, for being with us and watching over us. So next Sunday is a uh, special Sunday, end of the year praise service. <clears throat> okay. Does God experience joy with us? We're all moving toward Christmas, and every one of you has a different, um, a different way of approaching this season. Uh, you look at different things. Some of you have family coming into town. Others of you don't. By the way, let me just put in a plug. Be mindful of those in our church that don't have extended family. That's a, I've learned something very unique about our county. We have a lot of people here that don't have extended family around. And it doesn't matter the age. We could have the 20-somethings or we could have the 80-somethings. And um, as a grandfather, I can now tell you that um, I miss my family throughout the year. And um, so be mindful of them. If you have a room at your, a slot at your table, a spot, invite them to come. So all of you, uh, all of you experience Christmas in different ways, but a lot of you, joy is kind of built into that, at least the way we think of joy. Does God experience joy? When he's living out his plan throughout the world, when he's doing what he wants to do, does he uh, experience that anticipation and joy? It's very easy for us in our worship services to focus on God, rightly so. That's not a complaint. That's a very positive thing that we do. But sometimes it's worth just pausing and taking a seat in the throne room of heaven and taking a look through the eyes of our Lord and what he thinks about all of this. To set the stage, we're going to be reading a very famous story in Luke 1 where the angel comes to Mary today. To set the stage for that, uh, let's go all the way back. All the way back. Now, I have a question. It's a rhetorical question. Don't need to raise your hands. Uh, I had one family come up to me afterwards and say, thank you because our son was with us. <laughs> How many of you, um, so it's rhetorical, remember that. Uh, how many of you have had a child that has wandered away from the values that are important to you? They've wandered away and you've had to wait a long time, perhaps, maybe a year or two, maybe years, maybe decades, wondering when they're going to make their way back. And what does that look like? How would they make their way back? That's hard, isn't it? For those of you that have been there, that's hard. You know, God did the most gracious, honoring thing I can think of in the garden. He gave us the choice. 
Can you think of any other way to honor another human than to give them choice, freedom of choice? The moment you take away choice, we begin to dehumanize people. God created us, and then he gave us a choice, and he let us wander away. And we did. We wandered away. Then God began the long journey, which many of you have experienced, of patiently knowing the right time to back away and the right time to engage. As much as we would like to make our kids, our children, um, subscribe to our values and beliefs, we can't make that happen, can we? And the harder we try, it seems like the worse it gets. So imagine from the Lord's perspective, watching his creation, the entire creation, walk away. I wonder what the joy is like that he feels when one of us turns back to him. Scriptures talk about the angels rejoicing when a sinner repents. When you put it in the context of life as we understand it, you can grasp that, can't you? That idea. One of us turns back to him and says, Lord, I, I have come to understand who you are. And um, I want to devote my life to figuring out this whole Jesus thing and this whole faith lifestyle, whatever that is. Can you just picture his joy? One of our children decided to take their own route. <clears throat> Actually, all four did, but one of them took a particularly scenic route. <laughs> and um, when, they were, when this child was in high school, um, they had to go to counseling because of some things that were going on. And the counselor met with us and said, all I'm going to say to you is this. The values that are important to you are buried inside. You can't see them, and you probably won't for a long time. You just need to be patient. So this child took the scenic route, and, um, and it was many years, many, many years before we began to see those values resurface. Some of you understand the joy that we have felt because of that, watching that happen. In fact, that's the story of the prodigal son, isn't it? The father wasn't too concerned when the son took off, took his inheritance, blew it all, headed out. And uh, made a lot of really stupid decisions, as everybody in the room has done. But then when he comes back, the father's dancing with joy. He's jumping up and down at the son who came home. You know that feeling, some of you, don't you? In fact, some of you with little children have experienced it, especially when you get to about two. The Lord feel joy? All right, to set the context for Luke 1, let's go back to um, tell the story again. It's a story very familiar to you, but I want you to think of it in a certain way. You know, um, Adam and Eve, they walked away from the Lord. They uh, sinned, we call it, and then you have the fall. Those are theological terms to describe kind of what happened to them, and therefore all of us as well. And uh, God was very patient. So he said to them a very simple, very simple statement. As part of the uh, description of what's now going to happen because they have sinned and fallen away, the world is now broken. It has broke. It is not a place that we are going to enjoy very well. It's going to be a challenge for us to enjoy everything that we do. But in the middle of that, he has this little tiny statement. He says, your son, 
your seed will destroy this serpent who brought this all out and made it happen. Okay. A little bit of hope in the midst of darkness. I have no idea what it's like to live in perfect fellowship with the Lord and then in one second for it all to be gone. Now I live in fear, insecurity. Yep, I have all the same things you have, all those things. And then uh, right in the middle of that is just a little glimmer of hope, just a little, a little pin light. Your child is going to defeat this enemy. What a surprise when her children, her next two children, one killed the other. It's not quite the way I'm sure she envisioned it. Mm. But that started this idea, which we see now moving all through the scriptures, what, what I call the quest for the sun. <clears throat> Every woman after that began to look for, is this the sun? Is this the one? Is this one the one? Is this the one? That's why barrenness was uh, looked down on and frowned upon because uh, every uh, throughout Israel's history, the women wanted to have children. They wanted to have sons. It's not that the girls, the daughters were unimportant. It's not that at all. It's that they understood that one of those sons was going to rise up to fulfill all these prophecies we find out from the Old Testament. So they began to ask that question. Is this the son? Is this the son? God has a way of setting us up so that we have no choice but to trust him. We're in trouble if we don't. And you see that theme all the way through. And God's engagement with culture and with us is the story of the Bible. That is the story from beginning to end. We call that the mission of God. He knows exactly when to engage and when to back away and give us freedom. Just like all of you parents out there that have learned wisdom, you know what that's like when to step in and when to back away and be quiet. God is not going to push us, just like we can't push our children. He's not going to rush us. Somehow in his timing, though, he does know the perfect time to step in. So thousands of years go by, and everyone's asking the question, could this be the son? Could this be the son? Maybe this little boy is the one. Maybe this little boy is the one. Maybe this little boy is the one. They all have one thing in common. They were asking the question after the baby was born. Imagine the surprise when you hear about it before you're even married. Listen to the famous story in Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. She's the mother of John, who we came to be, came to be known as John the Baptist. So in the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Luke is filling in details here to help us see that, that he's, starting to, he's going to tie these Old Testament threads together for us and bring them down to this one simple story to help us grasp the significance of what God did in this instant in time. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So how would you like an angel to show up on your doorstep, you young ladies who aren't married, and say, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. How would you respond? Would you jump up and down with joy and excitement? 
Would you be frightened? Mary was greatly troubled. I can, I can hear it now. Oh, no. Oh, no. What's going to happen? You've heard me say before, there are some things in the, in the scriptures that I'm very content if they don't happen to me. One of them is divine boasting. When God says to Satan about, have you considered my servant Job? No one like him on the earth. He's the most faithful man alive. I hope the, I hope the Lord doesn't think that about me. I like lying below the radar, if you will. <laughs> divine boasting. Well, here's one for the women. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. What am I about to hear? Because I'm sure she was familiar with all the stories of, you know, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I want you to do this. You want me to do what? Uh, Jonah, you want me to do what? You know, in a real simple way, I'm quite content not to hear from the Lord. Because when I look in Scripture, as I, as I kind of plot out, this is the academic, academic in me, how God communicates, at one level, he has this still, small voice. It's very quiet. At the other end of this, you have a very clear voice. Jonah, go to Nineveh. When you're on this end of it down here, you have lots of freedom. And you often miss it. But you get to keep trying. At this end up here, if you don't obey, guess what happens? You die. Because if you don't obey, this is called sin. Up here, there's a lot of confusion. Trying to make sense of what's going to happen. Go back and read the stories of Isaiah, Jeremiah. Would you want to be Jeremiah? Stuck in the last days of Jerusalem? When the, when the empire, the nation of Israel is coming apart. It's the final days. So it's really clear what the Lord said to him to do. No wonder Jonah ran. That probably would have been me, running. I like living at this end, personally. So Mary would have known all those stories. She would have been familiar with all these prophets. And an angel appears, and she's gone, oh boy. What does this mean? What does he say? Angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. Good words. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked. I'm not even married. I'm only betrothed. How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive. Pause. Throughout the history of Israel, I told you we had the quest for the Son. God loved to bring women to the point where they were past childbearing and then bless them. Sarah, classic example. She's well past childbearing. She has already gotten used to the fact that God is not going to um, bless her with a child. 
She's already gotten used to that. And out of nowhere, God shows up and says, guess what? This time next year when I come back, you're going to have a son. And she's, the picture is really kind of funny. She's hiding behind the tent curtain while God says this to Abraham. And she starts laughing. And so they asked her, why are you laughing? She goes, I wasn't laughing. <laughs> God says, yes, you were. <laughs> you were laughing. So sure enough, a year later, she has a son, Isaac, and she names him Isaac. You know what Isaac means? He laughs. He gets the last laugh. He's laughing at this. I think with the twinkle in his eye, God sets us up routinely so that we have to trust him. That's what is required for us to understand both our faith and the joy that comes from it. And that's what he did with Sarah. That's what he did here. Okay? The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. She's not even married yet. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. There it is. You get a glimpse of the twinkle of the Lord here, his eyes twinkling. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Why is that? For no word of God will ever fail. No word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Okay, pause. <clears throat> now she's stuck in a dilemma because of her fiancé doesn't know about this. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine what she must have felt, especially in that day and age. Today, it would, <laughs> sadly, it might not be an unusual thing. But back then, this would have been a very shameful thing. Uh, okay, God, when are you going to tell Joseph? You know, Lord, I'm starting to show. I can't hide this very long. When are you going to tell... <laughs> When are you going to tell Joseph, Lord, the time is passing. He's going to figure it out really quick. What am I going to say to him? The Lord did this to me? Think about the absurdity of that in the history, in the course of human history. She is defenseless. Defenseless. Lord, you got to tell him. Can you imagine the conversation when he finally figures it out that she's pregnant? Maybe she told him right away. Maybe she didn't. I don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. I don't even know what the conversation would have been like. But can you just picture it? His response, his first response, Mary, how could you do this to me? I thought you were a faithful woman. Only then does the Lord step in. And send the angel to Joseph to tell him. So the angel goes to Mary first, tells her what's going to happen, leaves her vulnerable, sets her up, puts her in a bind, if you will. Then, after he springs the trap with Joseph, Joseph is going, being a righteous man, he's going to divorce her privately. He's not about to marry an unfaithful woman. He's a righteous man. And so he decides to divorce her privately, not to bring shame on her name. He could have very easily done that drug her through the courts and enchained her, but he decided not to do that. He's a righteous man. God picked two very good people, both of whom were willing to submit to the Lord's will. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. And so after he had made the decision, that's recorded in Matthew, by the way, 
Joseph's perspective, after he had made the decision to divorce her privately, the angel appeared and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Because what's happened to her is from the Lord. I can only imagine the joy as he comes running back and says, I heard from the angel too. Wow, you're telling the truth. (laughs) It's got to be the most amazing thing. Thousands of years we've waited and, and God's finally decided to answer, to fulfill his promise. And it's you. I wonder what it'll be like when the Lord returns for us. How many thousands of years do we have to wait? And then one day there'll be a group of us when the Lord comes back. Will we be frightened? In the twinkling of an eye, we'll start to change. Will it be a little scary for us? Will it be filled with suspense, anticipation, excitement, all of that? That's what happened here. Thousands of years we've waited and the Lord did it. I believe in personhood at conception. That's my belief. This is the true story of Christmas right here. Happened right here. Thousands of years and the Lord stepped in. All of those people saying, when is it going to, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? And they find out before the one's even born. Wow, what a life. Well, we know a few things about him. Uh, You are to call him Jesus, which is uh, Jewish for, uh, I mean, uh, Greek for Yahweh saves. But we know from the Old Testament that the Lord said, my name is Yahweh. That is my personal name. We're not quite sure how to say it. That's how I say it. That is my name. I will not share my name or my glory with another. So right off the bat, we have just a glimpse in this dark world that something is about to happen. The door is opening, and God finally decides to do what he said he was going to do all along. How did he know this was the right time? I don't know. Sometime it would be fun to have a conversation with you on all the things that had to come together at this point in history for this to work. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. But he knew. He knew when to step in and, and break into our world and erupt. So Philippians 2, which we looked at a month ago, uh, remember he said there that he has given him the name which is above all names, that at the name of Jesus everyone will bow and call him Lord. So we have just a glimmer right here. You're going to call his name Jesus. But not only that, it says uh, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, here's another part of the story. Let me read to you 2 Samuel 7. David finally has rest from all of his enemies. The uh, nation has been established. It's been secured. And now there's peace. And David says, I'm going to build a house for God. Because I live in a house. So why shouldn't God have his own house? So this is what David says to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Really? Are you the one? Later on, he's going to say, you've shed too much blood. You're not the one. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Remember he lived in the tent of meeting? Lived in a tent. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. By the way, 
This is the story of every one of you. You did not become a king of Israel, but the Lord took you where you were and began to move you. He lured you along that path. He nurtured you, protected you. Every one of you can look back and see this. This is your story right here. This is it. So I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. How many times did the Israelites cry out, Where are you, Lord? Just because you don't experience him doesn't mean he's not there. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the, gr the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be dis, uh, disturbed. A couple of verses later. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. So David sets out to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord says, I will establish a house for you. He turned it on its head. Isn't that like the Lord? It is, isn't it? Why I, I still puzzle over this and amaze. I, the older I get, the more amazed I am that, that the Lord has decided to reveal his glory through me. I'm about as broken a vessel as you will find. Some of you know my story. To God be the glory in the church, Ephesians 3. Old Testament says we are deaf and blind. And the Lord says, call out the deaf and blind. They will be my witnesses that God chose us to do that. And he's building a house. He said, I'm going to build a house for you, David. Isn't that the way the Lord works? Isn't this your story, every one of you? You are where you are today because the Lord has very carefully guided you. For some of you, that is involving some pain at the present. I understand that. But the Lord is very much with you and aware of that. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Now listen to these words. The Lord God will give him the throne of the father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The Lord did it. He did it. They waited thousands of years and right here it happened. He's faithful. He didn't forget. He knew the right time. Just like you parents know, you're learning when's the right time to step into your children's lives. There is a time, isn't there? He knew. He did it. He did it. This is the beginning of God's plan to redeem the world. Right here. Right here. Now look what happens. As you start moving through these little passages, all these songs and prophecies and praise songs, you begin to see what's emerging as God's plan to bring a light to the dark world. Little glimmer. The door's just opened a little bit. Listen to Mary's song a little bit later on. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She goes all the way back to Abraham. What was the promise to Abraham? 
Through you, I'm going to bless all the nations, the entire world. This is God's creation. It's not ours. He knows when to intervene. That's the story of the Bible. That's what we call the mission of God, reaching out to capture our attention. So she remembered that to Abraham and his descendants forever. Zechariah, who's John's father, he has a prophecy. Listen to what he says, verse 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord. To you, my child, that's John, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. No God ever forgave. What an amazing thing. We serve the one true living God who forgives. <clears throat> Much like we have to do as parents. <laughs> because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun, I catch the metaphor, the rising sun, this will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the prophecy about Jesus that Zechariah talks about. Do you see the anticipation? Can you feel it in there? The light is beginning to shine. The door's opening. God is stepping in. Then you have the announcement to the shepherds. You know, they're out tending their flock at night. And they uh, suddenly, uh, no, it says, uh, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. There's another glimpse of it. I'm not sure the, that the shepherds understood God was talking about the world, but it's there. It will be for all the people. A little bit later on, they go into, when he's eight days old, they take Jesus into the temple, and Simeon comes up. And here's what Simeon says. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. It is to Israel's glory that the Gentiles turn to faith because they were the ones who produced the Messiah. Just like when you live your life and somebody comes to faith, it's to your glory. It's for your glory. Okay. All the way through here, I'll just finish and read you a few verses. Listen to these verses. Listen to the anticipation. The first one is Elizabeth. At, the time, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? You hear the anticipation? What's going on here? The shepherds, right after that, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah the Lord. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, they said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened that the Lord just told us about. So they hurried off and found it just like the angels said, right? Huh. When they had seen him, they told everyone. They spread the word. Do you feel the anticipation? God making them wait. Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, chapter 2, verse 25, called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on, was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
Really? Can you imagine me giving that prophecy? Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God. Can you feel the anticipation? You feel it? We waited thousands of years for this. Anna, one of my favorite people. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. God loves it to, to deal with old people. Have you noticed that? She had lived her husband with her husband seven years after her marriage and then had been a widow for 84 years. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to his coming. She told everybody, we waited thousands of years. We waited thousands of years. Do you hear the anticipation in his stories? We have just a taste of it right now with Christmas coming, don't we? Don't we all just have a taste of just a few days? We're going to celebrate with family, friends, fun times. That anticipation is there to remind us of the faithfulness of the Lord. By the way, I think he's enjoying the anticipation too. And the joy. Let me say just a brief word about joy and then we'll finish with this. In our culture, joy is much more of an emotion. In the Bible, joy is something far deeper than that. It is a profound sense that God is in control and we can rest. But God takes us to the point of joy by often putting us in a bind, if you will. Just like Mary, just like Sarah, just like Joseph, just like Jeremiah, all of us, we all have, that's our story. Those are our stories. When I look in your lives, I see the same stories here being repeated. So he puts you to the point where you have to trust him. It's not for his benefit that he does that. He already knows what your faith is like. He doesn't need proof to himself. <laughs> he does it for your benefit. How will you know your faith is real if it's never tested? And if your faith is never tested, how will you experience that true, deep joy that Scripture talks about? It's a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. It's given to us from God. I think joy is far more profound. It's something we are to learn to live with every day. The expectation, the hope, the anticipation, and the celebration when God steps in and does something. That leads to happiness. The emotion of happiness. Let's pray. Father, we uh, lift up to you, Lord, our thankfulness, our gratitude, our grateful hearts for sending your son, for remembering your promise. Lord, for not forgetting us, but coming to rescue us. Thank you, Lord. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, because we believe in him. Amen.